0: Galatians chapter 5, what Ben just read for us. Let's look at this again. And I want you just to notice the kind of severe trouble that the Galatian church is in. Right, picking up in verse 2, I want you to notice the the seriousness of Paul as he addresses the the situation. Look, I, Paul, say to you. Do you see the emphasis? Look, I, Paul, am saying to you. If you accept circumcision, what does he say? Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again. He's emphasizing this moment. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. He's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. How would you like your pastor to sit down and look you in the eye and say, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. We did have a good church thing going. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That's really our, our question this morning. This persuasion, this, whatever it is that that's happening in Galatians, he says, it's not from Jesus, it's not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I have confidence in the Lord, though, that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Now look down to verse 15, one of the consequences of this for the community there. He says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The church there is in danger, the Galatian church is in danger of being consumed by internal troubles. They're in danger of being consumed, devoured, eaten up by internal troubles. The beautiful new creation community of Jesus that Paul is serving, that is emerging into the world here, a community driven by the Spirit, expressed in faith working itself out in love, love specifically across all normal social-cultural divisions, across Jew-Greek divisions, slave-free divisions, male-female divisions, across all those divisions, the love of the Spirit is being poured out in this beautiful new creation community, and it is at risk. It is imperiled because of what is going on, because of this question, who has hindered you from obeying the truth? The book of Galatians is the first time that Paul deals with something that is going to be a problem throughout his entire life and ministry in every church he plants and goes to. And I can get a little excited about this subject, but I really want just this morning to be about observing, observing initially at least, what is the primary destructive force in all of the beautiful new creations that Paul planted and serves the primary destructive force across the entire new testament that we have you might think well what's the primary destructive force oh satan oh lies oh the devil what he's doing okay but specifically this thing that we're going to look at because it is a problem that we face as well this morning look with me back at galatians chapter 1 verse 7 this is the first place he names this Pressure, This power, this force that is infecting the Galatian churches and will infect almost every place that we know Paul goes and serves. He says here in chapter 1, verse 7, Not that there is another gospel, but there are some people who are troubling you. We've called these people before the troublers. And why we're talking about them this week is because last week we were in Galatians chapter 2 and we saw them there in verse 4. Look with me now at Galatians 2, 4. Here Paul calls them, he says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. False brothers who slipped in to spy out our freedom we have in Christ so they might bring us into slavery. Brothers, false, distorted in the gospel, slipping in secretly, trying to judge us and bring us back into slavery away from the freedom we have in Christ sociologists uh, have coined a word for this sort of person in the modern world, and I think it applies to what we see here in the New Testament as well. Conflict entrepreneurs. Have you heard this expression? I thought this is very appropriate. This is what we're talking about this morning. Conflict entrepreneurs. These are people who generate personal advantages, whether it be some sort of a sense of influence or even some measure of income, by creating and sustaining conflicts. They come into social groups, communities, and they create and sustain conflicts to their advantage. And these are a perennial problem in Paul's ministry. They, you know, you could say, effectively, they're the only problem that he faces. He faces them everywhere he goes. In Corinth... Now, Corinth is noteworthy for its divisiveness, right? And we're not gonna, I'm not going to chase all of this out. I'm just giving you a sampling of passages where Paul addresses this subject across his life, across uh, all of his different ministry locations. But here in Corinth, he says to the Corinthian church, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me that there's quarreling among you, we come to find out later in the Corinthian letters that there's these super apostles who are coming in. And they're saying, Paul's nobody, we're somebody, we got what you need to hear, listen to us. And they're conflict entrepreneurs generating influence and income for themselves in Corinth to the detriment, to the destruction potentially of this church. Towards the end of Paul's life, as he kind of gets into the mentoring mode, he's got Timothy, he's got Titus. He says things to Timothy in both 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 1st and 2nd Timothy, but what he says to Titus here is very pointed. And I want to I couch it in not just the, the pointy part, but all that he's saying to Titus in this context. He says, uh, this saying is trustworthy, the gospel he just got done describing, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid... Foolish controversies. Have you ever known church people to get wrapped up in foolish... Con- not, a, not really in our experience, but I, this used to happen. Dissensions, genealogies, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Have you ever known Christians who get so wrapped around stuff and their Christian life is just... What is it? As for a person who stirs up division, a conflict entrepreneur, after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with that person. This is Paul's counsel to pastors in training. You're going to meet these people. After you give them a one or two warnings, get rid of them. Don't have anything more to do. Oh, that's harsh, Paul. No, no, no. He's seen what happens. We're going to read a little bit of an extended passage here in Romans. He writes uh, his magisterial letter to the Roman church with chapter after chapter of glorious and wonderful, deep, mysterious theology all really pointing to get to this place where he's trying to lay out for them how the beautiful new creation community is supposed to live together. Let me lay out all of this theology and doctrine so that, so that you guys can quit fighting. Here's the issue in Romans 14. He says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master he stands or falls. We already, we're, I want to read all of these things for us so you can get a sense, even though we're not going to delve into it, of how the conflict entrepreneurs work through judgment, divisions. One person esteems one day, he goes on and says, as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Right, these, are, these are community-destroying forces, What day to honor? What food to eat and not eat? And Paul's saying, ah! None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. We're the Lord's. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And now here's the the pointy part a little bit later in Romans. He says this, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. The the people who are saying, hey, those people are bad, those people are bad. He says, watch out for those people who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. And then lastly, Paul's experience in Colossians. In Colossae, uh, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Wonderful, beautiful statement of who Jesus is and what we have in him. And he said, but he says, I say that so that nobody will delude you with plausible arguments. Have you ever known a Christian so deluded by plausible arguments you can't reason with them? You can't get them out of what they're stuck in? Because they have found wisdom and knowledge somewhere other than Christ. And they've become enslaved to it. And Paul's saying, I'm trying to keep you from that which I have seen Christians 2,000 years ago succumbing to. Therefore, he says, as you receive received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. And see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. And we're going to come back to this line right here. I want you to, I want you to uh, underline this in your minds. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new new moon or a Sabbath. My favorite one of these uh, moments in Paul's letters and Paul's writings is actually by the pen of Luke, where Paul in Acts 20, towards the end of his life, towards the end of his uh, ministry life, he gathers the Ephesian elders, the church of Ephesus, he gathers them together to give them one final warning. And he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. He says, I know it's going to happen. It happened in Galatia, it happened in Ephesus, it happened in Colossae, it happened in Corinth, it happened in Thessalonica, it happened in Rome, I saw it in Antioch, I saw it in Jerusalem. I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. You know, one of the main reasons we have the letters of Paul is because of the troubles the conflict entrepreneurs are causing in these churches. because of their success at causing divisions in churches, right? And, and just, do we need a moment to lament? How many times have you seen churches divided over things that you go, I don't think that's on the entrance exam to heaven. Yeah. We're wrecking the witness of Christ. We're, 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 just, we're, we're ruining people's faith. I mean, how many times, how many people do you know who are like, I love Jesus, I don't want to go back to a church again. I read my Bible, I don't want to go back to a church again. Sidebar. You think about the parable of the sower. Jesus' parable. Uh, the sower's going out and he's sowing the kingdom word, right? To produce the kingdom in this world. And there's all of these different negative powerful forces, right? The, the birds of the air, which uh, symbolize satanic intervention of some kind. And and the, the stony ground, which is... Uh, uh, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the weeds, it's persecution and tribulations. And we tend to think of these things as being, oh, watch out for these ideas or these lies or these pressures on your life coming from the world. But what we actually see in the New Testament, where they actually come from is people. It's not just you in the world, you and in, in the internet, you and in your, you know, your books. It's people there who are trying to lead us astray. And they're not just after us, they're after the kingdom work of Christ in this world. They're after ruining the beautiful new creation communities. I'm trying this morning especially to, uh, I want you to know, I'm not, I'm not trying to scold you. I feel like Paul does in Galatians 5.10 where he says, uh, I have confidence in you and the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not scolding us, but, I, but this is a very important thing to pause and, and to be aware of for our protection. You know, as a community, uh, as a church community grows, there's going to be a lot of moments for us to be frustrated, to have miscommunication, to get our feelings hurt. And then, because we're also holy and spiritual, we're going to spiritualize all those things, and these conflicts are going to become more and more possible, and divisions are going to become more and more of a possibility. So I want to lay this down right now, because Paul is talking about this in Galatians, but also because it's appropriate for our church. Now, we could spend a lot of time analyzing these conflict entrepreneurs, but let's just start with this uh, briefly here. What is their motive, right? Why are they doing this? And I want to just, just pause and reflect and encourage you to be savvy about this, that their stated motive is not their real motive. Right? This, obviously, right, bad guys never say, like, oh, I'm here to hurt, mess you up, you know, like, I'm here to destroy this church. You know, hey, pastor, can I meet with you? I'd like to ruin your church. Um, that's not what they say, right? What they say, their stated motive, is what we hear in Acts 15.5, right before the Jerusalem Council, the context that Galatians is being written to address. One of the party of the Pharisees, a believer who's a Pharisee, stands up and says, it's necessary for the Gentiles to be circumcised and to, to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. <laughs> We're talking about saving the poor Gentiles here, right? Or Galatians 2.16, it's by the works of the law that they'll be justified. Paul, you're not giving them the whole truth. They're not going to have a right relationship with God. Christian, do you have a right relationship with God? Just by my book. It sounds really good. It sounds like I want to teach you about how to be a real Christian, a true a true Christian. We all know those Christians. I want to teach you how to be a real Christian. A good Christian, a better Christian. I want you to know for sure. So there's all these ministers and ministries and writers and speakers and influencers presenting themselves uh, which is pretty easy to do online as a as Godly examples and they have serious biblical concerns, but look with me at chapter 4 verse 17, where we get what is their real motive. Galatians chapter 4 verse 17. See what Paul says here about them? He says, They make much of you, but for no good, that's, yeah, for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What's their real motive? They want to be made much of. They want to be made much of. And notice the tactic that they use. Does this remind, what does this remind you of in your life? They want to shut you out so that you make much of them. You guys remember junior high? <laughs> they shut you out so that you make much of them. Right in, in, in those sort of, uh, junior high is just sort of the archetypical toxic social environment. And in those times, right, what, what, the, what the, uh, the top social group does is they pass judgment on everybody else. And by, by passing judgment, if we, we've already seen, this is one of their the conflict entrepreneurs' primary strategies to pass judgment. And what that does is that forces everybody to recenter their sense of whether they're good or not, onto those people, and whether they're and their acceptance, their direction. Am I am I being good? Am I accepted by the in crowd, whose judgment now gives me a sense of where to go with my life? I need to start wearing those clothes. Do you remember wearing T-shirts all over to- turtlenecks in junior high? I was doing some of that stuff. Do you remember the, um, <laughs> you know, showing your boxers above your uh, pants for a little while there back in the. <laughs> Late 90s, whatever it is, we all had something, right? We, we've all been in that kind of experience where the social group passes judgment, and then you now feel like I'm not a good me until I measure up. But that's how the social group stays sort of at the top because they're the ones who dictate, you know, and so they play this sort of a judgment and counsel judo just to keep us always off balance. And that's what Paul's saying the conflict entrepreneurs are doing. Now by the end of Paul's ministry, he had seen so much of this kind of thing that he says this to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the last letter of Paul's that we have, he says this in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word... From Galatians to 2 Timothy, it's maybe 20 years. And by that point, Paul is saying, I know. I know what's coming. People, because they want to be scratched behind their ears, are going to accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And Paul is describing to Timothy, saying, expect a marketplace of conflict entrepreneurs. Does that sound like any place you know? <laughs> a marketplace of conflict entrepreneurs? All right, that's where we live. That's where we live. You've, got, you've all got stories of stuff like this in your life. I'll just share one of mine. I remember about 10-ish or so years ago, a new fellow at the church uh, came up to me and was talking about how one of my friends, a godly older man in the congregation, had given him a, a DVD that was all about exposing how yoga was inf- infiltrating our public school system and I was baffled because neither of these guys could probably touch their toes, so i don 't know what they were worried about <laughs> yoga for, but that was part of it right I was like, what well, yoga publics like where the gentleman didn't have children of his own, which you know, concern for the youth is is good, and, and uh, the older members of our congregation. But he was it's like, what? What schools in, in the state of Wisconsin are doing yoga? Like, I don't think what if that's a problem. I don't think it's a problem here. And and I talked to my my friend, this, this brother. So what's? Well, you just you know what happened. How did he get that? He was on some website. He had heard somebody talk about how this is the next great coming evil afflicting the church or something. And he got sucked into it and then it was starting to spread. Next thing you know, we're at our business meeting and somebody's saying we need to pass a resolution about yoga or something like that. Like, I, What does that have to do with what we're doing? You got stories like that? Unfortunately for, for this brother, that, that impulse to to be afflicted, to be uh, affected by conflict entrepreneurs, grew in his life. I know pastors now, I think every pastor just about that I talk with, says that there's people in their church who say, I can't come back to church anymore because I don't agree with, I I know that I'm not going to be welcome because I don't agree on these issues or those subjects. So the church now be, has become, in many cases, a social group, not just about Jesus, but about Jesus and. That's not what we want to be about. We want to be about, the, about Jesus only, only. Not Jesus and. But there's a whole marketplace of conflict entrepreneurs, and in a society like ours, you know, founded on uh, Christian principles and sort of Christian ideologies. Right? There are Christian-ish voices all over the place appealing to Christian-ish people who like to think of themselves as good Christians and want to be told how to make sure that they're good. And you know what? That's a good market. We're a good market. And because of this, we see uh, all different kinds of divisions. Theological divides... Now, this is the easiest space in which to inflame conflict between Christians because, rightfully so, we care about theology. But what can happen is when we wrongly elevate non-essential truths and then what do we do? We judge people who don't have what we have, our opinion, and then we divide from them. That's not good. It's good to have serious theological conversations. It's not good to judge and divide. There's political divisions. You know, one of the, one of the great successes of secularism in the last hundred years is to convince all of us uh, that everything is political, that everything is somehow attached to politics. Now, the benefit of that for them is that then they can now address and dictate society through legislation. It's political, political, it's legislatable. But friends, the truths that we are defined by and the, the life that we champion in this world cannot be legislated and it cannot be defeated by legislation. It is unlegislatable. And no legislation can stop us. And yet we have seen many Christians who participate in the conflicts of the world regarding politics and legislation, and many more who do so and feel that this makes them a good Christian. Being told that you're a good Christian, that's a good market, telling people they're good Christians. There's cultural divisions. You know, I mean, just fill in the blank here. Should you wear hats indoors? Should you talk about showing your boxer shorts in a sermon? I mean, all these kinds of... I think that was a joke. Did you get that part? Uh, All these kind of things, little cultural divisions, you know, if you're above... Seventy, you probably think you know people shouldn't be wearing hats inside. If you're below thirty, forty, you're kind of like, man, right? It's not a big deal. Uh, per, practical divisions, like you know, should we have fog machines now? God put a fog machine in the temple back in Leviticus, but uh, should we have them in our churches? Did you? That's that's funny, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I didn't. I just thought of that the other day. I was like, oh man, there's a fog machine in the temple, but you know, we, we don't want fog machines in our church. That's a practical thing. Is that a big deal? I don't don't know. You know, personality things kind of grow into this territory, right? You meet somebody and... They're kind of pushy. I don't like that they're pushy. They shouldn't be pushy, should they? It's wrong to be pushy. Don't don't you agree? What just happened there? It's wrong to be pushy and I think... Don't you agree that they're too pushy? Let's talk to Pastor about it. (laughs) There's all of these... Conflicts and divisions. We judge, we divide, we tribe up, and then we, we sit back smugly. Mm-hmm. Tell them, preacher. Now, I'm not against conflict. In fact, I, I personally, I enjoy conflict. But, uh, see, conflict is an unavoidable fact of life, whether you like it or not, right? Sinners living in a community of, of sinners, uh, doing our darndest, which is different than our best, to glorify Jesus, right? Uh, we're going to have conflicts. Conflicts are unavoidable, they're normal, and I would even suggest that they're healthy, where we need to talk about the things that we need to talk about. Um, One of my professors in uh, in seminary said, he pointed out, conflict is ground zero for the gospel. That if you think back on actually what really forced you to grow in your faith, it was probably some kind of an altercation, some sort of a tension and then resolution, some sort of a conflict, and then we push through and we we realize that the gospel is more important than that thing and that the gospel and Spirit of God works. So conflict is actually ground zero for the gospel. And I think that serious conversations about important subjects, whether they're theological or political, are normal and can be healthy as well. In fact, you know, the significance of our differences elevates the significance of what unites us. You know, if you could just imagine... Right, Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence sitting in the same pew in a church somewhere, praising Jesus some Sunday morning. Everybody would say, hang on, that's crazy. The way that you talk about your political issues and the way that you, you argue and you, you work through these things. The other six days, what could be so much more significant that you set those things aside to give attention to that on this day? What could be so much more significant than that? Which seems to be so all-consumingly significant the rest of the week? Well, Jesus. Right? So our, our differences actually elevate the significance of what unites us. The problem is, here's the problem. The problem is when these, these issues, these conflicts, these, these positions come to define us or come to define our relationships, Right when when something defines who we are other than Jesus, that's an idol. That's an idolatry. Jesus and that, that's who I am. And if something defines our society other than Jesus, I hang out with people who are who Christian people and who what? Fill in the blank. This, that. That's a heresy. Because you're saying that issue is on the same level as the subject of Jesus in the gospel. Jesus should define our identity, and our identity should describe our society. I de- right? Part of our identity is, these are my people. Right? Who's in that circle for you? These are my people. And that circle should be prescribed by the gospel. But often it isn't. So what what should we do here? Let's 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 land this plane here. There's two parts that are necessary for a division. The first is you've got to have a conflict entrepreneur, right? Somebody to kind of catalyze this thing, but you've also have to have people who are insecure. Who are looking for somebody to tell them that they're good. Who are looking for somebody to tell them that now they're right with God. Now their sins are forgiven. Now the Lord will look on them with favor. So what should we do, friends? If we don't want to be easy marks, we should stay full. Stay full. Look at how Paul handles this in Galatians 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, again, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might... They might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We are not going to yield. And I love the way he says it. Remember that that verse I told you to underline in your mind? Colossians 2.16. He says, Do not let yourself be judged. Don't let yourself be judged. Which I just love that because, hang on, I can't control... What they think of me. I can't control if they're judging me or not. But what is he saying there? He's saying he's saying haters gonna hate. He's saying people are gonna judge you, but don't let their judgment affect you in any way. Don't let their judgment weigh in on how you feel about yourself. Don't let yourself be judged. When Paul's goal in Galatians, Paul's goal in his ministry is to so present the grace of God in Christ to you and and so you fill up on it so that you're at peace. Right? Who, after eating a $50 steak, is interested in hot dogs that are left over from the kid's t-ball cookout? Right? Nobody is because I'm full of the good stuff. And as we are full of the good stuff, we will be uninterested in the appeals of the conflict entrepreneurs inviting us to be better than we are or more secure in our walk with the Lord. You know, when they say to you, hey, real Christians do it this way, real Christians do this or that, how do you withstand this? You know, if you've got the conflict entrepreneurs on one end of the sociological spectrum here, on the other end is something that they call the non-anxious presence. The conflict entrepreneur comes into a a congregation and says, where are there conflicts that I can make some hay with, right? But the non-anxious presence comes into a social space and says, hey, we're good. The Lord's with us. You don't need to be insecure about your relationship with the Lord when it comes to communion because Jesus died for all those sins. You're all right. Hey, I know we're in distress right now, but God's with us. And God will be with us. And so the anxiety is diffused by their presence. You know, what do we know, friends? What do we know that nobody in the world knows? What do we know that's so important that it makes the relative significance of everything else so reduced that Paul can say, this thing is actually like it's the only thing. It's so important. Remember Galatians 2.16. Paul says, "We we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. We know that a person is not justified by how they look or they appear. We know that a person is not justified by how they vote. We know that a person is not justified by where they live. We know that a person is not justified by any of these things. But a person is justified only by the grace of Jesus. Only by faith in Him. And so, for us, we've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. He lives in us. And the life that we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's who we are. That's all, I'm good. That's all the identity I need. And you know what? My society, my society is, ah, there's neither Jew nor Greek here. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ here. That's what we know. So stay full and watch out. Watch out for what encourages divisions. Look with me. One, one, one more thing to look at here. Look at Galatians 5 again. And look at verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Does that remind you of anything? Do a little scan. Where does that, that go back to? Where did Paul get this image? He uses it a couple times. He uses it here. He uses it in Corinthians He actually gets this image from Jesus. And this is really interesting because Jesus uses this image really in one place. He says to the disciples one day, he says, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Watch out. This is the only place that he lays on a double warning. Watch out and beware for the leaven of the Pharisees. He's saying that their little teaching, their little, the way that they are is going to come into your, your group disciples, your church's disciples, and it is going to just infiltrate the whole thing and affect everything. And you know what happens? The first big problem in the early church is Acts 15, some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stand up and say it's necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. So Paul says, watch out for those who cause divisions. Avoid them. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't tolerate them. Don't tolerate them in yourself. Don't tolerate them in your life. Don't tolerate them in your community. When Paul goes to the Corinthian church, this church of of so many different class and societal divisions, he says, I decided to know only one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I would suggest that for those of us living in a marketplace of conflict entrepreneurs, that we become really thickly, we become single-issue humans. Rosa Parks, uh, you know, hero of the civil rights movement, tired after a long day of work, wanted to sit down and not be bothered, but she was bothered and she didn't want to put up with any more. Five decades later, as she reflects on that experience and and what she was just trying to achieve in a sense by speaking out for civil rights, she said, I want to be remembered as a person who wanted to be free and wanted other people also to be free. And I think the Apostle Paul would resonate that. When he says in chapter 2, verse 4, he says they were trying to bring us into slavery. They were trying to steal the freedom we have in Christ and bring us into slavery again. Mm -mm. We didn't yield in submission for even a moment. And then he says in chapter 5, he says for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not you submit. We didn't submit. I want to be free. And I want others to be free. So watch out. The conflict entrepreneurs say they love Jesus or say they love the Bible. And they're going to elevate these issues to the point that they define us and define who we fellowship with and get along with. But that is a, distor- a distortion and denial of the gospel. And so the antidote, antidote, friends, is to elevate the gospel. That's it. Elevate the gospel. Let the gospel define who we are and what we care most about. Because Jesus Christ is all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would illumine in our lives now where conflict entrepreneurs may be at work. Illuminate ways in which the identity we have in Jesus Christ has been compromised by an over-attachment to other issues or causes. Things that make us overly excited, things that make us overly upset, that don't have to do with the work that you were doing in this world. Lord, we wanna be a church of Jesus people. And that doesn't mean we're gonna be perfect or flawless. That doesn't mean we're always gonna get along. It means we're gonna have to work and we're gonna have to rely on you. <clears throat> we're gonna have to pray. We're gonna have to hold each other accountable. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to be in this together. But Lord, what we want in the heart that you've given us here is to be a people of grace who work to extend the gospel of grace and to increase thanksgiving to you. So let that heart grow in every single one of us and let everything that is in the way of that or slows it down or compromises it Let those things fall away. And sure, we can have our different viewpoints and we can have our different opinions. But we have one mind and one judgment and one passion together. So Spirit, do this work we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.